Well, um, this is one of those texts of scripture that if you've been around in the church a while, you're probably two things. You're probably familiar with it and you're probably uncomfortable with it (laughs) because after all, who wants to welcome little children, right? That's such an uncomfortable teaching of Jesus. Uh, No, we're uncomfortable with the teaching on wealth. So, um, and if you're like me, the discomfort doesn't go away when you hear it read out loud. It only gets heightened and you go, oh, my goodness, really, Jesus? What on earth does that mean? So um, we're going to think about that this morning. And we're going to think about three things we're going to think about as we as we look at this. Um, and uh, we're going to see that uh, we're going to see embrace. We're going to see exclusion. And we're going to see amazement. Embrace exclusion and amazement so um let's have a think about that i'll just pull up the text and uh we'll go from there i'm not plugging okay so um here we go Three things. Uh, Embrace. Well, uh, the first thing we see in the story is Jesus embraces the unembraceable. This is one of the things we see in the gospel, that um, those who society regarded as the most significant, the most impressive, the most religious, the most spiritually attuned were not the ones who came running to Jesus and whom Jesus embraced. We see that he embraced people who were typically excluded. And so who gets embraced here? This is just such a great story. People are bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. So uh, everyone wants their kids to be blessed. Uh, They really do. And and so uh, that's that's a great natural human impulse. But there's also a human impulse to see kids as annoying, as demanding, as interrupting, as less valuable than uh, the adults who are going about the serious business of discipleship and of learning about God. And and that's what the disciples figured. They, They just demonstrated again that they just didn't really get Jesus because they rebuked these people for bringing the kids along. They went, no, hang on, we've got serious adult work to do here. And um, uh, and Jesus is indignant. It's the only time in the gospel this word is used of him. And he uses it as a teaching moment. He says, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. So the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is Mark's gospel. It's great news. And the kingdom of heaven is actually in Jesus' words and in his deeds. It is thrown open to everyone. Everyone is welcome, including annoying, 
interrupting, demanding little children. So um, I know your little children aren't like that, uh, but I know that, uh, you know, occasionally other people's children can seem to just get in the way of what's really important. Sometimes in churches, people feel that. Well, we're doing important God stuff here. Who wants kids crying? I remember a pastor of a large church who was renowned in the community for asking parents of little children to leave the service if their kids started crying and acting up in any way because it interrupted his train of thought and the solemnity and the reverence of the meeting. And Jesus goes, no, no, the kingdom of heaven is for everyone and welcome them, embrace them. And he does more than that, though. He actually says, listen, um, don't just don't just welcome, don't just let me welcome them. You should both welcome them and learn from them. I mean, how unbelievably humbling for the disciples and the Pharisees and all the powerful, wealthy men of the moment to say, no, actually, not just don't, don't not just keep them out, but welcome them. And then, guys, hey, you could learn a thing or two from them. And what can you learn from them? I mean, how did how did the kids, uh, how do the kids, the little children receive the kingdom of God? Well, with, um, with absolute joy and delight. It's how does a child receive a present? Well, every present is a delight. The wrapping is a delight. Everything, uh, everything is a delight. And so that's that's what we're to learn. That to receive the kingdom of God is to is to just run in and allow yourself to be scooped up and to be welcomed and for that to fill you with joy. And I thought, well, what a different picture that is to how I receive the kingdom of God, right? What, what do I tend to do with God? And maybe you can resonate a bit with this. Well, instead of unfettered joy like kids it doesn't take much to trigger a kid's joy at the present the gift the thing but you and me man we we get a an adult sense of entitlement that we just go huh is that it we look at the gift we've got and we think about all the gifts we haven't got or the gifts that other people have got we we don't delight in everything and we're not satisfied easily now um perhaps one of the misfortunes of our affluent 21st century parenting is our kids have lost their sense of wonder because they're so overwhelmed with gifts. But let me tell you, in Jesus' day, to be welcomed and included and embraced and blessed is just full of joy. And so I think there's something in my heart that I need to guard against, this adult sense of entitlement and privilege that counts what I have and my possession of an entry into the kingdom of God as a right that I kind of earned. Well, I mean, you know, of course I'm, of course I'm in the kingdom of God. Of course God loves me. I, I deserve this. I've been good after all, haven't I? And I'm a good Anglican or a good Christian or a good Protestant churchgoer or a good clergyman. Or, and, and then, of course, what happens is it, that sucks the joy right out and the delight and the wonder because, I feel entitled and it actually breeds discontent and cynicism and disillusionment and pride. And uh, little children have none of that. You don't, you don't have proud two-year-olds. You, you just have two-year-olds who are delighted to be cuddled on 
dad's lap and three-year-olds who just love snuggling in with mum. That's the picture. And we need to learn from that and find that to be our source of joy and uh, delight. Uh, there is exclusion, right? Um, there's great exclusion as well, which is fascinating um, if you look at it. Um, and the exclusion comes from a very unusual source. And this is the this is the this is the text that makes us feel very uncomfortable, or maybe just me. Um, look who gets excluded. The kid gets in, the kids get included. And then the person who on every religious and social and sociological indicator at the time would have been the one who, more than anyone else, you would have thought this guy's in with God. He's blessed by God. He's in the kingdom. He's the guy who gets excluded. So Jesus, as he's going on away, a guy runs up to him. Okay, so this, so this is like a little kid. I mean, he's running up. Men in the ancient world don't run. This is erratic. It shows how keen. He's just super keen to learn. And, and he falls on his knees and he goes, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I mean, this is the question of that, that is in all of our hearts, no matter, no matter how we dress it up, everything we do in the end is driven by uh, our, this question. The, the philosophers call it the hedonic principle. That is that we do every, everything we do ultimately is a pursuit of joy or happiness or pleasure but i actually think deeper than the hedonic you can reframe the hedonic principle that because the pursuit of joy is really the pursuit of eternal life i want a state of blessedness of being that is just wonderful and good and lasts forever i want the good life that goes on for all eternity and i want it now that's what drives all of us and this young man comes and he goes what you know teacher what 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 do i have to do to get this and Jesus goes, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Okay, you get that. Then he goes through a bunch of the commandments. Uh, you know the Torah, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your mother and your father. And, and the guy goes, you know, teacher, uh, rabbi, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, now sometimes... Protestant preachers that I've heard indicate that that can't possibly be true. And they, you know, well, this can't, can't be right. I'd go, no, no, I think it's right. The Torah is keepable. Uh, we can obey the law. Israelites in the day could obey the law. Jesus, and I say that because Jesus didn't say to him, buddy, your biggest problem is you're lying and you've actually been breaking the law. Jesus, he doesn't say that. The assumption is he takes him at his word. He goes, yeah, this is a, this is a young man who is scrupulous in his obedience of, of God's Torah. And then we see a, an amazing verse, verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Look at that. Jesus loved him. Now, do you know what? This is the only place in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is said to love an individual. And he loves this guy. I mean, he's welcomed and embraced the little kids who have nothing to offer him. And now comes this man who, who has it all, who's so keen. And then Jesus, 
I sometimes wonder, I wonder if the writer put that in just to make sure we got the point that what comes next is not the question of a lawyer who is trying to find fault with him. It's not the question. It doesn't come from a place of trying to prove himself right or diminish the guy. It comes just from a place of just wanting the best for this man because Jesus loves him. And he says, hey, the one thing that's missing is, uh, is you love your money more than you actually love God. Or another way of putting it, he asks this question to show the man that he's already answered his question himself and he's not prepared to countenance a different answer. The answer that the man has given by his actions to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, the answer is um, to have an, an eternal life is, is to be successful and wealthy. This is it. This is the thing that the man was building his life on. And, and Jesus says this one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad. I mean, the emotions in this story are profound, right? And, and why is he sad? He's sad because he had great wealth. Well, and, and, and he's sad because he realizes he's got to choose. Uh, is he going to find eternal life in God? Or in practice, is he going to find eternal life in his wealth? And all Jesus has shown him is that you can't have both. <laughs> you, can't, you can't trust both things, God and money, to give you eternal life. Now, you, you, you can have money, but you just can't have it as the thing that you're trusting to give your life significance and purpose and meaning. And, and you can know, you know if money is playing that role in your life when you won't give it away. You won't give it up. If the choice is put so starkly to you, give up all your money or give up God, you know, what would you do? Um, what would you do? What would I do? Like, that's the question, right? Um, now, in, in the economy of the kingdom of God, if we, if we learn from the little children, being wealthy and having money is not the path into the kingdom. Like it's, it's not a sign of blessing. It's not a requirement of entry into the kingdom. It's not even the thing that is a sign that you're in the kingdom. It's just an ancillary blessing that God gives to some and not to others. It's not to be relied upon. Um, and uh, so he goes away sad, sad. See, it, I mean, the Christian faith is very binary. Exclusion and embrace is very binary. Everyone who wants to be embraced by God can be if they want to be. <laughs> and the only people who get excluded from God's embrace are those who don't really want it. Now, why would anyone not want God's embrace? Well, because they want status and power and pleasure all the things that money can buy, they actually want that more than they want the embrace of God. No, so it's, who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Will anyone who wants to? 
Anyone who wants to, it's, it's open, it's here, that's the good news. Why would you not want to? Why would I not want to? No, that's the question. Because I'm proud. Because I don't like to, because I think my wealth and my status and my success is a sign that I really matter. And I need to be accepted on that basis. And Jesus, no, 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 no. These things don't matter for acceptance and embrace. Little kids don't have them and look, they're right in there. <laughs> Let you see one of the one of the interesting things for us as religious people, right? Is we don't need you and I, I suspect, as I look out on this gallery view here, I suspect you and I don't need to repent of particularly gross sin. I may be wrong, but I look out and I think there are a few people here who are murderers, few people here who really are thieves and pedophiles and abusers and, you know, really, really overtly terrible evil. Most of us are good people who've kept the law in most areas of our lives. But, you know, for us, we need to, we need to repent not of our bad deeds, but of our good deeds. What do I mean by that? Well, we need to, we need to repent of trusting in the external signs of success upon which we base our lives as the thing that makes us acceptable to God, the thing that we trust functionally day to day to make us worthwhile as human beings. We need to repent of trusting those things, loving those things more than we trust and love God. Repent of our good deeds as well as our bad deeds. And of course, this is not easy, right? The, the disciples, the, the guy's face falls, he goes away, and, and, and then Jesus says, man, it's really hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's really hard to repent of your good deeds. It's really hard not to, not to think that this is what makes you worthwhile, particularly in a culture that says, if you're rich, it's a sign that God has blessed you. If anyone has God's favor, it's a wealthy person. So and his disciples are amazed. This is our third point. There's been, there's been a welcome. There's been exclusion by a man who chooses to exclude himself because of what he wants. And then the disciples are just amazed. And then Jesus makes it even more amazing. He says, listen, it's really, really hard. Uh, and he picks the biggest animal that they would have known in their experience, a camel. And he takes the smallest thing that they would have known in their experience, the eye of a needle. And he says, listen, uh, it is so hard for human beings to let go of their achievements, to let go of building their sense of self on what they have. If they have any kind of success in that in worldly terms, it would be easier for the biggest animal in the world to go through the smallest little hole in the world than it is for a human being to let go of their riches so that they can actually love God. Um, I find that, and I don't know about you, I find that the most profoundly encouraging, amazing, wonderful verse. Look at it. I mean, you may not have thought of it as encouraging and amazing, okay? Uh, you may have thought of it as outrageous and difficult and challenging and hard and awkward. And why do I find it so encouraging? Because Jesus knows my heart <laughs> and he knows your heart and he knows the state of our hearts. He knows us. We don't have, I don't have to pretend that it's easy. I don't have to, I don't have to pretend anything, but not just that it's hard, but actually it's impossible 
the disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, who then can be saved? Listen, if if a rich person, if if doing what's right, if having your life together, if this won't gain you entry into the kingdom of heaven, who the heck can ever get in there? I find it. I'm so glad because I'm the rich man and I can stop pretending that I'm not. Let me put it another way. Um, I am an addict to self. I'm an addict to building myself on my achievements, on my wealth, on my obedience, on my religion, on my status, on my standing. I'm, I'm addicted to this. And like in the 12 steps, which is so deeply Christian, the first thing I've got to do is say, I am powerless. You know, if you go to an AA program, the first step is to teach you to say, I'm powerless to overcome my addiction to alcohol. Or if it's an NA, it's drugs, whatever it might be. But there is a, I need to rely on God and God alone will give me the power to overcome this. And I go, that's it. That's so deeply Christian. And we need this in the church to go, yeah, I am. I am on my own, utterly powerless to overcome those parts of me that build myself on my wealth, on my intelligence, on my social standing, on my religiosity, on my morality, on my anything. And you go, it's not, I can't do it. Oh, okay, you can't do it. You are an addict. You are addicted to self. You will, left to your own devices and me, left to my own devices, Give me enough time. I will always want the things of this world more than I want God. And Jesus said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And that's amazing. Hey, listen, that is amazing. All things are possible with God. And, and the all things is not... <laughs> This is, I mean, this is the human, weird, like sometimes this text and others like it get get used in the sort of Christian self-help movement. All things are possible. Like I can overcome this and I can get rich and my business can succeed and I can visualize my heal, my defeat of cancer or whatever it is. And you go, no, 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 no. It's way more profound than that, man. I tell you what's possible is that I can be healed of my addiction to self and I can become like a little child and I can be embraced by God and I can enter the kingdom of heaven and I can be freed from reliance on self. I don't have to construct myself. I don't have to save myself. I don't have to make this life work. I don't have to now add, because this is the conundrum, right? This is, this is where Protestants sometimes push people. Well, now the good work you've got to do is have enough faith right? Do you have enough faith to enter the kingdom of God? Answer, no. I don't have enough faith to enter the kingdom of God. Heck, I don't have enough, barely have enough faith to get out of bed and get my clothes on some mornings, right? Just to live in this world is hard. And Jesus goes, no, you know what? God can work in the human heart um, to make it possible for people like you and me. Uh, to be embraced and welcomed. <laughs> That's a miracle. How does he do that? Well, you know what? There's only one ever been one human who, there's only, there is really one rich young ruler who, who did this. There's only one, isn't there? 
Well, who's that? Well, this is what, you know, who's the, who's the rich young ruler who gave everything up for the poor so that he could be with his father and that the poor could be with his father? Well, there was a rich young ruler who was the richest man who had ever, ever, ever existed. And the richest man who ever existed ended up with literally nothing, not even the clothes on his back. He was stripped naked, stripped of all dignity, stripped of all friendship, stripped of all social support, stripped of all status, stripped of all hierarchy, stripped of absolutely everything, stripped of his access to justice, stripped of power, stripped of agency. He was nailed to a cross and he was finally stripped of the most valuable thing of all, his relationship with his heavenly father. And he gave it all away to the poor so that the poor might inherit all his riches. This is what the Apostle Paul says, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And that's it. That's the miracle. That's the miracle that... Even though I think I'm rich, I'm building my life on my wealth and I'm choosing all these things. And, and it's my, my, my idea that I'm rich and I need to be rich in all these ways. This is actually what excludes me from God. And it's impossible for me to deal with that. But Jesus comes as the only true human. He, he, he is rich. He created the whole world. He inherits all the riches in the world. And he gives all that away so that my spiritual poverty, be, poverty might be replaced with his spiritual riches and I went into the kingdom of heaven, not because of me. It's all about the vicarious life and faith and poverty and death and resurrection of Jesus. Don't look to yourself. Look to Jesus. Don't look to your faith. Look to the faith of Jesus. Don't look to your poverty to try. and Don't make this into about, well, now I've got to generate faith or poverty to get into the kingdom of God. Say, no, 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 no. Now you've just got to look to Jesus because he became poor so that you and me can be freed of our addiction and trusting him, we can ride on his coattails into the kingdom of heaven. If that's what you want, if that's what you want. Now it's a question, right? Do you really want that? <laughs> and if you want it, then Jesus is there for you and he's done it all for you and he's done it all for me. And that is amazing. That is truly, utterly, completely, extraordinarily amazing. And so we should be amazed and we should be full of joy. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, uh, thank you that you, uh, oh, you, though you were rich, became poor for us so that we, being poor, might inherit your riches. And I pray for each of us in this, on this call in this church this morning we might repent of our bad deeds and repent of our good deeds. We might learn from little children and just grab hold of Jesus and, and his life and death and his faith and his prayerfulness and his obedience and trusting that we might find the kingdom of heaven thrown open for us and that this might cause us to live in a state of perpetual amazement at how good and wonderful and glorious and loving you are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.